welcome to the C Word, the Conservatives podcast. Today we're talking about Christmas. I'm Jenna Mathiason, an object conservator based in Kilmarlandshire. And I'm Chloe Rumsey, an object conservator based in Greater Manchester. Welcome to the show. Hi. Is it Christmas? Can you hear the jingling in the distance? That's Christmas. Today we've got a special guest host with us. Emily, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Emily O'Reilly and uh, I'm a paper conservator and I'm working in private practice. So I have a studio at home and uh, I work for a variety of clients, private, public. Fantastic. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It is a special episode. It's a special time of year and we always <laughs> gear up for our Christmas episodes because they're the silliest ones. They are. I think. They definitely are. My humour has got me into trouble in the past, though. So oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm regularly in trouble. <laughs> I mean, Jenny and I are already drinking. So, yes. I mean, if that's not getting into trouble for the listeners, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. It is. On uh, a Monday morning. <laughs> it's not morning, <laughs> but it's Monday. I have gingerbread rum. What do you have? I have port. Nice. Uh, I don't really... I do drink, but I tend to drink um, Victorian drinks <laughs> for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> and I do beer and stuff. I'm not a crazy person, but I tend to drink port and sherry. Is my uh, They're my tipple of choice, but I've got a new one to open now, so I'm pretty excited. Oh, excellent. I mean, do, do you want to do the honours? Do you want to open it now on air? Should I try that now? Let's try that now. I'm going to spill it all over my equipment. Seasonal hazard. Oh. Did you get that? I did. Yes. <laughs> Let's see if I can pour it without pouring it over myself. That was beautiful. What constitutes a Victorian drink, anyway? Is it well matured? Was it made in the 19th <laughs> century or is it just... You know? Thankfully, no. Otherwise, I'd try and conserve it. But... It's not your Alco Pops. <laughs> it's not your Alco Pops. It tends to be stout or, you know, stuff that you'd imagine... Oliver Twist drinking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a Dickensian drink. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't well, know. Maybe I'm wrong. But um, I always think of port and sherry as very like... Yes, I, I suppose between that and like, a, and like a nice brandy, it feels like the cigar smoke is there and somehow everyone's in leather yes. armchairs. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. What would Sherlock Holmes be drinking? During the uh, lockdown uh, and I was homeschooling my eight-year-old son, I did learn a lot about the Victorians, actually, which was his Ooh. topic, but never covered alcoholic beverages, though. That is a shame. I feel like they really missed out on teaching eight-year-olds about <laughs> drinking. <laughs> Maybe you should supplement the education. That can be your own little project. Can that be homework? <laughs> it's not going to win me parent of the year, which I was yeah. hoping for. So I might get a reputation. I am sitting at my parents' house in the room that we describe as the library, just because it's full of books. Oh, so my I feel God. I'm well there, actually, aren't I? You are. You I mean, I'm using are. the most modern recording equipment, but never mind. That's <laughs> not... Let's not think about that. Oh, God, it's too early for port. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, maybe <laughs> maybe water it down. Make make port squash. You could always mix it with some lemonade. And my father used to call that barmaid's drink. Ah, oh, I like it. My mum calls that a port and lemon dairy. <laughs> That's somehow adorable. <laughs> I feel like I'm trying to be some sort of uh, Christmas-themed pirate with the gingerbread rum, which is... That's so on brand for you. I don't know why. Thank you very much. Uh, I feel like this is an excellent start to a Christmas episode. I really do. I it's think good. so. We haven't talked about conservation once. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
What's our schedule? Oh, well, gosh. I mean, we like properly planned fun. (laughs) Scheduled fun. (laughs) Scheduled fun. We normally do predictions. Uh, I've got last year's predictions in front of me. (laughs) And um, yeah, (laughs) didn't go so well. (laughs) Would you like to hear what we thought would happen last year? (laughs) I think perhaps... Perhaps we should hold a minute silence for those predictions. Yes, you're quite that right. That won't actually take a minute because no one wants to listen to a minute of slightly rustly silence. No, that's true. But let's just bow our heads for a moment. <laughs> that was really good. You're very good at mouth that trumpet. That was really good. <laughs> It's just what I do. Yep. I'm super impressed. So things we definitely thought would happen during 2020. Yeah, mixed results. I can we'll have another conservation <laughs> award ceremony. Not really. We had a couple of bleak ones about the EU and Brexit that I won't even go into. We're not. We're just going to leave oh, that. That remains we're, to be seen. We're just going to leave that. Uh, I said that I would apply for accreditation stuff. That did not happen. Uh, let's see. We did say forced into a crazy dystopia where we have to fight for food. That didn't happen. Oh, no, it did happen. No, no, no. Almost. Lou roll first. There was Lou roll first. That was the great crisis. I'm sure someone got fighty over pasta. Oh, definitely. That will have happened. I forgot that we said that. That actually happened. Yeah. So I feel like we can have a tick <gasps> there. Like tick. Yes. <laughs> we didn't make it happen, though. Can we just can we just agree on that? That wasn't us. Yeah, we yeah, didn't yeah. predict I or mean, foretell. Give, given our absolute abysmal score of our predictions coming true i think we can all agree that we did not make that happen we have no powers here man if we did things would be going very differently it really would we predicted the rollout of conservation apprenticeships which is in the works to be fair but um yes that more people will do contemporary collecting yes i mean that definitely happened Yes, absolutely. Black Lives Matter. Yes. Really, really good. And also, you know, COVID collecting and all that. So actually, tick, that totally did happen. We said that more cultural heritage might be lost to fires or theft. And I would say no, mostly because people starting fires weren't out. That was great. And uh, nobody could be bothered thieving anything either. So that was great, actually. Uh, That one did not come true. And that's a good thing. There was there was the discovery of all those books in a basement in Ger- in Germany. Whoa, 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 some... whoa, what? Don't ask me for the details because I can't remember. But well, they were stolen from somewhere and then they were discovered. Yes, that's true. I can't remember the exact details. Yeah, the last couple of months, I think. Although, I think, was it Cambridge University Library that discovered they'd uh, lost some books? But then I thought that sparked really interesting conversations about how sometimes museums and libraries don't always know where everything is. <laughs> And I thought that was an interesting <laughs> conversation. Uh, we also predicted that museums will become hubs for migration stories and safe places for immigrants to feel like they belong. And that's, I mean, we didn't really get around to that bit this year. So maybe we can push that one to next year. I we- feel that they're working on it, though. Oh, definitely. With the with the, the movements in Black Lives Matter. Yeah, definitely. I also think, you know, these cultural recoveries, there's the cultural, certainly in Wales, there's cultural resilience, but there's also cultural recovery. So it's how you recover. So and I think there's a big push, you know, trying to make collections more accessible and more available for, you know, and and widely accessed by every you know, all members of the population. I think um, that's part of that recovery fund as well. So I think you'll see more of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that ties into the kind of 
the penultimate one that we, we said, which was that museums would deliberately shift to collecting and displaying works by women and people of colour and minorities. I think we have seen that and we have definitely seen that in the way that they're trying to embrace like contemporary collecting and stuff as well. So I think I think that one is on the cards. I wouldn't say it's a tick for this year, but I'd say that it's a reasonable shift to next year, I think. We can roll that one over, no problem. And the last one we predicted was that we will become immensely rich and famous. And I feel like that's <laughs> ambitious. <laughs> D- does anyone want to be brave enough to like make some predictions for the year ahead <laughs> without anyone having a meltdown? And also, like, let's try to keep it a little bit cheery. Just, just saying. <laughs> Oh shit! My first one was going to be we're going to run out of drinkable water. <laughs> oh my Ooh, god! You—that's extreme. Is this just because you want to drink port forever? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Let's face it: in the nineteenth century, it was far safer to drink alcohol, especially like things like beer, than it was to drink the water. Oh, indeed. So. And it, it has been for much of human history. So, you know, good point. Maybe we just go back to just drinking a lot of beer. I'm kind of okay with that. I'm up for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say that I predict that there will be a shift where we look at work-life balance more. Because if anything's come out of this year is that work-life balance is very important. And uh, that looking after yourselves is really important. And I think that self-care... And uh, mental well-being will be a much higher priority, both for employers and for people in general. Yeah, that's a good one. Emily, do you want to give a prediction? I haven't got anything positive, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm a bit worried. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. <Negative> it is. <laughs> well, oh, I was just going to, you know, talk about funding. I mean, what's going to happen about funding cultural institutions and uh, how that's mm, going to... Yeah, it's looking dicey. It is a bit, isn't it? I suppose adjacent to that, I'll go with the prediction that we will see an even bigger influx in people setting up as freelancers, um, because I'm I'm not convinced that there will be that many permanent posts <laughs> flying around anymore. But I mean, that's one of the reasons why I went freelance three years ago as well, because uh, I've got two small children and my hus- husband disappears for the winter. So I've probably got the best of both worlds, really. <laughs> Does it go into hibernation? <laughs> no. Is he Father Christmas? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> what an amazing revelation. <laughs> Almost. No, he disappears off and teaches skiing in the winter, goes to Europe. So, um, oh. wow, he is Father Christmas. <laughs> it's almost, yeah. He's, Badass. He's, does he never answer his phone on Christmas night? Well, <laughs> because I bet he's busy. Consequently, because of COVID, he won't be going away this winter. And I just don't know whether to be sad or happy because we're actually finally going to have a Christmas at home. I've even gone out and bought a real Christmas tree. Oh, nice. So I'm very excited about that, but um, I will have my husband for the winter and he'll probably listen to this and tell me off and look (laughs) at me very seriously. (laughs) And say, how dare you suggest that I'm Father Christmas? No one is to know that. (laughs) It's a secret. The secret is out now. All your listeners... Now we have to move again. I'm going to know. So, uh, yeah. Now we have to get new identities and new passports. Why did you do this? (laughs) I know, I know. But I'm just so glad I won't have to go travelling this Christmas. It's great. (laughs) Ladies, ladies, I'm sorry, but my Christmas cracker has just (gasps) arrived. Oh, my God. Thank you, Claire. That is immense. So, <laughs> FYI, I posted these a couple of days ago and Emily had gotten hers and I obviously had mine. And up until this point, we didn't think Chloe would get hers. <laughs> oh. I'm getting into it now. I cannot, I can't get, I can't get into it. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of tape on that. Oh, Jiffy Foam, I love you. Oh, good. <laughs> I didn't know that was part of the gift. <laughs> I love a bit of Jiffy. Would you guys like to open crackers now then? Sounds like Chloe needs to. Okay, everyone, crackers to manual. I need to <laughs> crackers to manual. <laughs> right, so is it, you know, double hander? Uh, yes, I, I reckon it, it'll, it'll have to be unless you guys have helpers. I don't. Um, Shall I summon my sister? Claire? Can you help me with this cracker? <laughs> Amazing. Are we, are we doing this now? We're pulling it, yeah. There's nothing exploding in the inside. Hang on, wait, wait, wait. Okay, okay. One, two, three, go. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Claire. Oh my God, I've got pipettes. Oh, they're in three <gasps> different sizes. There's a hat. Oh man, I'm so excited. Thanks, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll all have to tell listeners what you got. Oh my God. Oh, I've got a joke. Oh, excellent. Would you like to hear my joke? Yes, please. Yes, I'm dying to hear what your joke. What kind of paper likes music? Wrapping <laughs> <laughs> paper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've got, got a hat, lovely got blue paper hat, but it, it won't fit over my headphones, so I'll have to... Uh... Yes, I have a similar problem. Oh, and I've got a, a the C word key ring, lovely, and a little mini spirit level. Oh, I have a giant plastic paperclip, you know, one of those really enormous ones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, you know, that's better than metal ones. And then I've got a joke and mine says, what did one painting say to another? Uh, what did one painting say to another? Let's hang out. Oh. <laughs> You're welcome. So I've got my hat and it fits on my head because I'm wearing wireless headphones. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I've got a joke. Oh, I'll say my gift for I love this so much. I've got three little pipettes in different sizes tied together with a nitrile purple, C word purple, little bow. And it makes me so happy. Oh. <laughs> and my little joke. Why was the Christmas tree such a poor textile conservator? Why? Dropping the needles. Because they kept dropping oh, the needles. Oh, yes. <laughs> Nailed it. This is oh, so perfect. God. <laughs> I never get jokes. I never get jokes. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much, Jenny. You're both very welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Now that we have done predictions and Christmas crackers, would you like to move on to Emily's parlor game or Chloe's and my weird little quiz? Should we do the quiz? Yeah, let's do it. So my first one, seeing... Welcome to the big fat Christmas quiz of conservation. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, Hang on, hang on. Welcome to the C-Word Podcast's Christmas quiz. Ooh. Play along if you like. <laughs> How long have nitrile gloves been around? And I'm going to give you four options. A, 15 years. B, 25 years. C, 35 years. Or D, 45 years. This is all approximate, of course. Oh, my God. But how long do you think we've had nitrile gloves? Ooh. I'm trying to remember if um, Scully wears um, nitrile gloves in the 90s. 25 years. I'm going for 25 Cool. What's your guess, Chloe? I'm going to go 35. And the true answer is approximately 25 years. Well done, Emily. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that is because I have been alive a lot longer than that. 
What did we have before then? Well, I mean, before that, like medical examination gloves have yeah. been a thing for a long time. Although in conservation, mm. it should be noted that we did a lot of co- cotton gloves for a long time. But, uh, you know, there were latex gloves and other types of rubber and nitrile kind of came along about 25 years ago and, and started becoming a thing because they're very chemically resistant compared to some of the other ones. And, you know, they have all sorts mm-hmm. of benefits. They're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it, they're pretty good. I tried finding out what's the most common color but nobody has statistics on this, and this makes me sad. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. I feel like we've got a bit exciting in that respect. Oh, in I the know, last right? Few years, like it's there's amazing. red ones and green ones and yeah. pink ones and stuff. Like the original nitrile glove was blue, and then purple came along quite mm. soon after, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. That's kind of the second one because I thought it might one might have been a bit boring, like white ones or something, or off white or something. But no, blue was kind of the the first one apparently, and then purple came along very soon after. So purple has been around for a while, which is good. Mm-hmm. But there were very limited statistics on like use of colors, which makes me sad. Someone should do that research. Please do that research. <laughs> okay, Chloe, you do one. <laughs> okay, okay. Who was a big innovator of glass and ceramics conservation in the 80s? Clue rhymes with boob. <laughs> <laughs> Coob. <laughs> Uh, I didn't need though these would be hard. You know, I didn't know if what's I was his first hard though? ones or Is it Steven? Steven, right? Yeah, it's Steven. Steven, Steven Coob, yeah. And he's still like he has a middle initial. <laughs> oh, his social security number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just trying to make it harder. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that another one could be like, what's the hardest to guess first name of a famous second name? Oh my god, what? And that would be, I reckon. Horry, Velson Horry. I've never heard the name Velson before. I heard the name Velson Horry. Yeah, that's true. That is an unusual name. And I appreciate that. This one's a bit personal, but I thought you'd enjoy it. What have I gotten in the most trouble for ordering on a local authority procurement system? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And the options are A, an armed escort, B, a paddling pool, C, bomb disposal, D, cocktail sticks. I'm going to say paddling pool. Well, I was going to go for paddling pool, but so I'll go for cocktail sticks. Nice one. The answer is paddling pool. Oh, I yes. knew I was right. <laughs> Although I did get in trouble for all of those, I should say. Oh. I got in most trouble for the paddling pool. <laughs> but uh, there you go. I also got in trouble for the cocktail sticks because I ordered too few and they were like, this is a waste of postage, which I think is a fair kind of argument from a sustainability point of view. But it was also very funny to me. (laughs) How many were you trying to order? I just wanted two little packs, like not a ludicrous amount because that would last me literally ages. But they were like, if you don't order like 5,000, we're not interested. And it's like, oh, but I don't need 5,000. I'll never go through that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so in the future, I just got them from Tesco and claimed the money back. So there you go. <laughs> My next question. Which neglected popular substance has disgusted hundreds of conservators returning to work after lockdown? Ooh, 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 ooh. It's weed starch paste, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I got too excited about that because I remember the horrible mouldy pictures. Oh, the furry friend. 
I just want to say there's something else that someone came back to that was unexpected and gross. But someone sent me a message saying, over three weeks ago, someone decided it was a good idea to post to the museum a dead bird they found in their garden. <gasps> and it sat in the postal system decomposing no. for three weeks. Oh, no. And today I received a partially liquefied goldfinch with a crushed skull and a jiffy bag. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I am so sorry that happened to you. <laughs> that's worse that's actually worse than the the the, like admittedly amazing pastes and this is why museums have had to check their posts quite regularly during lockdown (laughs) so yes thank you for sharing but also grim (laughs) all right next question (laughs) which of these are not part of a book so this is an odd one out question oh a gutter b spine C, vein, and D, footband. Which one is not part of a book? I'm going to go vein. I'm going to go C. You are both correct. Vein is part of a feather, not a book. To me, I was just mesmerized by the fact that a gutter is part of a book. I'm not a book conservator, so there you go. I am a museum pest who normally likes damp conditions, but I've recently evolved to thrive in normal RH ranges. What am I? Oh. When we say normal RH, what are we saying? Like, is it just like anything? Oh. Okay. Yeah, oh. like not particularly damp. Uh, I'm going to go silverfish. Yeah, that's the only one. That's the only one I know. Correct. Remember we had that news story the other mm, year yes. when the, there was a terrifying discovery of a new strand of silverfish that yeah. didn't really bother with damp conditions at all and they were found everywhere. That, that was grim. Which of these adhesives is the oldest? A. Beaver 371 B. stick. C. Medium for consolidation by Lascaux and D, aerodite epoxy. Which do you think is the oldest? Um, <sighs> Pritstick. You know, I think Pritstick as well, but... Is that or aerodite? Oh, I don't know. I was going to go beaver Ooh. as my other option. So I'm going to go Pritstick or beaver. And Emily will go <laughs> Pritstick or aerodite. <laughs> well, if you pick aerodite, you would have been right. Because aerodite epoxy... Oh, no! was 1934 guys that's a long time so what was pritstick yeah pritstick was 1967 and beaver was slightly after that 1969 Uh, as a medium for consolidation is a newly born in 2005 you see i thought that was like the other day (laughs) yeah pretty much well done like it that was a good question that's a fun question i like that yay My next two questions are pretty silly. I hope that's all right. Oh, yeah. Go for it. What popular piece of household furniture is also used to secure and provide support for fragile areas of textile? Clue, you've spent more time with this piece of furniture this year than any other of the preceding years put together. What piece of furniture? A sofa? (laughs) Uh, Maybe we're going to have some linguistic problems here. Oh, dear. I didn't think of this. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Um couch oh (laughs) i'm sorry oh my god that's a really clever question well done 
I did not understand that was also a pun. That's fantastic. I'm sorry, Emily, I didn't give you a chance to answer. I was too excited to give my answer. I mean, I couching, we do you do that with paper when you make paper after you've formed it, you couch it. Yes, there is a term there. You sort of squelch it onto the uh, Ooh, paper conservator. Ooh. Onto the felt. But so what what are you in is it the same <gasps> meaning? Oh my yeah. god, I'm learning all sorts. Is it Okay, okay everyone. Basically, couching in textiles conservation is, uh, laid couching in particular, is passing a thread over and then stitching that down in regular intervals and then another thread over and stitching that down in regular intervals. And it sort of creates a kind of... It's a stitch. It's a stitch form. It creates a sort of nice net that holds down a fragile surface or you can hold it down to a support that then makes it, it... well, provides okay, support, so it is basically. a kind of laying down, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I imagine there's something you know yep. to do with the development of language <laughs> that means that that's I don't know. Yes, I, I'm I'm amazed by this. I learned so much. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, my final question is, and it's a tiny tad silly. Which of these household items have I not used for conservation purposes yet? Oh, good grief. A, nail buffer. B, chopsticks. C, fridge magnet. Or D, butter dish. Oh. All of them can be used, but... Mm. Butter dish, I might use it as a a weight, but um, has it got the butter in it? (laughs) (laughs) It does not. Yeah, I'll go butter dish. You know, I think but mm, I think butter dish as well because I'm sure you've used fridge magnets and chopsticks. First of all, both of you, you did great. However, the answer is nail buffer. <laughs> oh, what? That's like the most obvious one. No, but see, this is the thing. It was in our like student toolkit and I've uh-huh. never ever ever used it for anything other than my own nails. I've never used <laughs> I've it. I've never for used mine either. Anything <laughs> conservation related. I can see its uses, but it's never come up. But I have used fridge magnets to test if something's like iron. I've used chopsticks for a million things, especially when I've accidentally dropped like a little bit of cotton down something that I shouldn't have. And <laughs> and butter dishes make amazing tiny humidification chambers. They are amazing <gasps> for that. Oh my God. But not if they've got butter in them. Not if you have butter, no. butter in them, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> butter stains are very difficult to get off. <laughs> Well done. Well, if I ever get anything that teeny tiny, I will use a butter dish. But Yes. <laughs> Which popular conservation grade packing material is probably also in your roof? Oh. Oh. Well, it's certainly not going to be tissue paper. <laughs> <laughs> Unless that's accidental. <laughs> yes. Probably not. Oh, no. Bubble wrap. Oh. Does it mean with tea? It does. Tyvek. <gasps> what? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, apparently it's a I, I heard it's a it's a roofing material. Oh my god. It's a barrier layer. I know. Yeah. Amazing. Quite thick. That's why it was originally produced, mm. I think. Yeah. I love it. Anyway, that's our quiz done with. Well done everyone. Uh let us know how you did. We did okay. <laughs> I think. I think, I think we, we did, did okay. Right. Yeah. I think we, we did were all just right. stumped by the butter dish. <laughs> <laughs>
literally everyone under the sun has done a quiz this year so i felt it was only fair that we did one as well and i do believe emily that you have a parlor game as well that you would quite like well uh, to do yeah i've loved playing um games this is a favorite one when we go camping where it's sort of like would i lie to you so i i tell you three different stories and scenarios and you tell me which one has is untrue and has not happened to me Ooh, excellent but what i would like to do is give you three scenarios in my past life i did a lot of couriering couriering uh, objects around the world by truck and aeroplane and uh, so i've got three couriering nightmares for you scenarios mm. oh perfect oh. <clears throat> number one okay and i'm not going to mention any places <laughs> just just for security <laughs> reasons so i've done a few road trips across the u.s and uh, one time i did one and uh, i we were staying over two nights it was a really long trip and uh, i was just driving down through the past the colorado river and uh, i got a phone call to say that the hvac and um there was no electricity it had been cut they had a 24-hour power cut there was no hvac or security and it was offered to me that the safest thing would be to keep everything on the truck parked up outside overnight till the next day that's scenario one and uh, scenario two is i arrived at a major another american institution only to find it covered shrouded in scaffolding and uh, I looked at my, oh my uh, co-courier and I said, did you know about this? No, I didn't know about this. No, no. So I was there for a week unpacking exhibition. And uh, on about the second day, walking through and I could, um, I could smell smoke. And uh, there had indeed been a fire in the roof space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And they didn't and tell you? And I was you? told not to worry about it. Anyway. Uh, scenario three was um, the thing when you go cargo, when you fly cargo, you always have to get up at squirrel fart to get to the airport, to get to the uh, <laughs> to the hangar, to load up, crate up and your, your, your crates, put them on a like a pallet thing, a metal pallet that then they sort of strap down and cover with plastic ready to go in the aircraft, has to clear, you know, all sorts of customs and things. So I had a very early start. I'd, I'd actually gone down to London and stayed the night. And uh, we had to go to, to the hangar at sort of six o'clock in the morning. See it all loaded up. And then my flight was probably five o'clock in the afternoon or something. So <clears throat> that's when you really appreciate those airport lounges. So I hang around there, had my nails done, had a few dinners, may have had a glass of wine with my lunch. No, <laughs> no gingerbread rum or port. And then I went and did a bit of shopping, <laughs> <laughs> and then I uh, I was uh, rudely telephone called because I'd missed my flight. But <gasps> but I made the cardinal no. error of not checking in my luggage. Ooh! If I checked in my luggage, then they would have properly checked, and I would have been notified or woken up and told to go <laughs> go and get on my flight because I was about to miss it. So. One, two, or three, which is true. You can ask me any questions. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have a couple of Go questions. Okay. Question number one. What was the roof fire caused by? It was actually caused by the builders who were doing the roof work. 
Oh, now that's that's so bloody common. I totally believe yep. that. Mm. But the okay. thing is, they didn't tell us that they were actually doing the building work either, which was slightly mm. naughty. <laughs> mm. And obviously, is the most so, is the time where you know it's most vulnerable. And uh, so, yeah, it does happen. There you go. So I have a question also for scenario number three. Oh yeah. How did you get your nails done? What colour were they? Uh, in the airport. Have you never been to an airport lounge? Heathrow Airport. Oh, it's lovely. Well, I have, but I I look at, you know, the Mac stage makeup and then I go and sit down and read my book. Oh, no. Well, no, no. Well, you can... Is that because you're an extremely anxious person, Chloe? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm there hours before. You can get your hair cut. I, I was <laughs> considering... I'd only just had my hair cut, but I, I would have probably gone into the free hairdressers, but I didn't. But uh, no, you there's a nail bar there, so you just... Book yourself a little appointment. I've got a question for scenario number one. Where was the truck parked? Yeah, this was quite funny. So we we arrived there. There was actually two trucks because the value of the consignment was so massive. It it could have fitted in one truck, but this this is one for the environmentalists. It had to go in two trucks, two separate trucks. So uh, when we arrived and there was a courier and two drivers in each truck... The um, they did suggest that I could go to the hotel and they'd all stay the night. And I said, well, I'm here to do a job. Maybe I ought to stay another night in the truck. So they said <laughs> they sent the two oldest drivers off to the uh, off to a hotel. So it was just uh, myself and the other courier, and we were literally parked in the loading bay outside. And it was America. They sent an armed police response to to, to that parked up outside the trucks as well. Blimey. I don't I don't believe in scenario number three. That I missed my flight. Because I feel like you would have a boarding ticket and you would have dropped off your bags. You couldn't have your luggage with you, I think. Having spent a lot of I don't know very many conservatives who get their nails done. Spent a lot of time in airports, so I feel like I'm not a believer in number three. <laughs> Oh, you're correct. But I have known somebody that has. <laughs> it would be very easy to do it. It would be so easy to do Sweet. it. It would be so easy to do it. So do you, do you think which one it is? It's between number one and number two now. Hmm. I think it's number... My, my personal answer is number two. You think that's not happened? I th- Oh, I think that has yeah. happened. Oh, hang on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a lie. And the other two are true. That was a great game. Thank you for that, Emily. <laughs> um, I do believe that he wanted to talk about Christmas trees, didn't you? Or Christmas tree decorations. Well, funny thing, I just put just put my Christmas tree up this weekend with the children. Um, as every year I get out the Christmas decorations and I've um unfortunately my parents are no longer with me. So, um but I when I were, you know, clearing out the house I, I couldn't let go of the Christmas decorations so I now have their Christmas decorations and I've got these really uh, I was putting up some lights on the tree I mean uh, they must be about 30 40 years old I think the Christmas lights and then I've got lovely little baubles real glass thin ones that probably and were well definitely my parents but I think some of those were actually my grandparents as well and um, so I was just wondering if you've got any things like that uh, that you've done or or and the other thing is sort of strange things that you might have put on a Christmas tree as well. 
I mean, I've definitely got my eye on some of the things that my parents have in their tree every year where I'm like, this is staying with me forever. I don't care what it takes. (laughs) I don't know if you do this in other countries, but in Sweden, there are like sugar decorations. They're like spritzed sugar in like nice shapes and stuff. And because the sugar basically lasts forever, that are just hung on like little strings. And they're so early 1900s. Um, I don't have them because obviously they go my parents' tree. But at some point they will become mine and I will treasure them like nobody's business. Oh, I think you need to put a, a picture. <laughs> oh, Get so a photo sweet. of those. We want to see it. Put it on Twitter. They sound lovely. That that I'd keep yeah. those, definitely. But that does remind me of... Um, I thought it would be a good idea when I had uh, my children were younger. I got these, you know biscuits from ikea that you decorate and put on the tree and we took hours did them all lovely they look really good except the ones my youngest son had done that was pretty bad <laughs> but we we hung them all on the tr- no judgment <laughs> no judgment no we hung them all on the tree and then the next morning i came down and they're all slumped on the floor over all the presents and everything oh. they just they'd, it's quite damp in the house i think and then oh <laughs> <and> <laughs> It's like kamikaze gingerbread. <laughs> they just and it looked like a yeah. It, it looked like some sort of animal had been in and chewed them all, and they were all littered along the floor underneath. But oh no, all the holes had just gone oh. and just fallen off. Chloe, do you have anything like that? Um, so my parents don't really hold with Christmas decorations. Um, and my my partner has an intolerance also for Christmas decorations, which is a huge shame because I really like getting properly Christmassy. So I think I will, uh, my Christmas tree related story will be my Christmas tree belly dance costume that I made last year. Oh my God, what? <laughs> um, have you not seen it? No, I don't remember this. We We need photographic evidence, I'm afraid, Chloe. Right, so it is green velvet, stretched green velour, obviously. And it's just a simple green belly dance costume. So bra and skirt with a split up one leg. And I stitched tinsel around the bottom of it. I got the biggest tinsel I could in gold. And it's wired tinsel, so it holds the skirt bottom out. Uh, Stitched that around the bottom and then put a load around my hips and put a load around the bra and then dangled Christmas baubles all over it and bows (laughs) because... Why the hell not? This sounds amazing. Uh, and then <laughs> and then my favourite bit is the Christmas lights. Uh, and I absolutely hate coloured Christmas lights and flashing Christmas <gasps> lights as just I can't stand them in my house. But I used both on this dance costume. And so I went out. <laughs> stuff, so I went out to all my party gigs dressed like a Christmas tree with flashing colourful lights all over myself. And it was such a laugh. And I got tangled in the lights numerous Ooh. times. <laughs> That's amazing. I saw a great thing in Wilco the other day, which sounds strange, but they had a Christmas tree in their tool section because obviously I go to the tool section. I mean, have you met me? Um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they decorated it all in spirit levels and tape measures. And I appreciate it so much. So it was yellow and Best red thing ever. and phenomenal. And I took a picture, so I will tweet that. Um, it was great. Please do. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> But I did have another. I did have another tree story for you. You know, in studios when you work with other people, there's always a lot of talk about recipes and things, isn't there? And uh, everybody likes to share a recipe. Or is that just paper conservation? No, I, I think it's ubiquitous. Yeah. 
I think it's universal. Anyway, one year we were talking about Christmas decorations and somebody was saying they always like to put a few crackers on the Christmas tree. So um, I sort of took this quite literally and I was thinking, you know, your Jacob's cream cracker. And I was thinking, why <laughs> why the heck would you put crackers on your Christmas tree? And I just couldn't work it out. And uh, see, I'm slightly slow on the uptake now and again. And anyway, then it obviously uh, conspired that they were talking about real crackers. But I was thinking, wouldn't it be funny to put real crackers on your tree? So I spray painted Jacob's cream crackers, put a little <gasps> hole in them, diag- you know, so there are little <laughs> diamonds, put some ribbon through them and I hang them on my tree. And then I did go a bit OTT, chocolate bourbons and custard creams I spray painted. <gasps> <gasps> and I wrapped them up like little parcels and had them dangling on the tree. I absolutely they love that. They look really good. There's, there's, you can put anything on your Christmas tree. That's what I reckon. That is amazing. And you definitely can. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. agree. I love Top it. points. <laughs> In that vein, I actually asked listeners if they had any particularly conservation-y kind of ornaments and stuff going on. And uh, two people replied. One said they had a slate roof tile piece from a National Trust property that they had <gasps> gotten completely legally because they were the conservative for the roof project. <laughs> 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 but they had a little piece of the old roof that they hung in their Christmas tree every year, which I love. I'm imagining like a whole slate hanging from a tree. No, it's like a small piece. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And someone else said that they had a gilded walnut and some leather hearts and some gold leaf and marbled paper as a star topper, which I absolutely loved. <gasps> um, that sounds amazing. Now, there, there's a conservation themed Christmas tree, which I love. Oh. And as of this year, I have a little gingerbread conservator that someone made me, which I'm really, really happy about. <gasps> oh. <laughs> it's made out of felt, oh, but good. it's definitely a gingerbread oh person dressed in a lab coat oh. with little purple gloves i also made some clay lab coats this year that i sent out to two or three conservators around the world i also wanted to bring up something that i'd seen at, in a youtube video recently and i thought was so fascinating as you may know i am a super big nerd and i watch youtube channels like tech connections which is all about like old technology and how it works and they did a little video about something called bubble lights that i'd never heard of before and it appears to be mostly american to be fair but i thought i'd bring it up because it's funny it's like a fair light alternative and it's liquid filled vials that are heated and illuminated by an incandescent bulb there are these amazing contraptions that you put in your christmas tree and because they have a really low boiling point of 39 to 40 degrees It means that when you turn the lights on, after a while, it becomes like a tiny lava lamp and it starts bubbling in the vial. And it's the most tacky and hilarious (laughs) and charming thing I've ever seen. And the liquid in the vial is dichloromethane, which I thought was interesting. And there are these amazing things that I didn't know existed, but I'll definitely link to the video in the show notes because it's phenomenal. And they just seemed like the most crazy mad scientist kind of christmas light that i've ever seen and if anyone out there has them in their christmas tree i definitely need to hear from you because this is amazing (laughs) um i'm looking at you americans i am because they cost a (laughs) ton of money to uh, import apparently so if anyone out there has them please let me know and i think that concludes my kind of christmas tree um, enthusiasm for the year (laughs) (laughs) 
I thought I would end on asking you ladies if there's anything this year they're particularly grateful for because I thought it would be nice to end on a little bit of a warm hug. Um, I, well, I'm going to say a somber one though. National Health Service. Ooh. Good one oh. to be grateful for. Should I, should I do a funny one though? No, you can be grateful for that. I feel like that's a really good one to be grateful for. Okay. Lots of people in the world don't have that, so I think that's a good one. Introspection is not my um, most silly state of mind at the moment. Oh. <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> How about the National Health, Health Service and Quality Street? Oh, that's fine. That's a good combination. Ooh, controversial, though. <laughs> Socialism and capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> and never the twain shall meet. So 2020, what what can I be grateful for? Well, I think, you know, the first lockdown, uh, work was a bit quiet. So um, I actually laid 200 breeze blocks, terraced a bit of my garden and built a veg patch and, um, and then Ooh. built a greenhouse on the top. And currently there are multicolored fairy lights in the greenhouse because I just wanted to make a feature <gasps> of it. Amazing. That's the best it's thing my ever. symbol of 2020. That was my sort of achievement over adversity. And um, I've, we've had a lot of vegetables. I, I have made a lot of tomato sauce, cucumbers. I've been pickling cucumbers since they'll last me well until next year. And um, it's just been so great. So like a lot of people, the garden has been a real security blanket and um, has just been lovely. And it's going to be there for next year as well. So... Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. How about you, Jenny? I'm going to have a serious one and a silly one. Although, I mean, I suppose the okay. both kind of serious. I suppose I'm seriously happy that I have settled status because that means that I get to stay. <gasps> which is nice. And then I'm incredibly grateful that we're looking after a really old cat because she brings me so much joy. <laughs> and I cannot express how much joy this cat has given me this year. <laughs> She's 17. She's <gasps> well old. Old lady. <laughs> and this year's musical creation is A Conservator's White Christmas, written by Jenny Mathiason and Chloe Rumsey, and performed by Chris from CSP Music. Enjoy. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas All archival and acid-free With safe exhibits within RH limits Two smiles in the gallery I, I, I am dreaming of a dry Christmas The ones where ceilings never leave May your stores be stable all week May you find the blunder traps you see Dreaming of a safe Christmas 
just like the ones I'm hoping for. No object missing and curators listen. Bidding the last cotton glove. I, I, I am dreaming of a clean Christmas without a health and safety fright. May your lives be cozy. Christmases be Welcome back to the Benchwork Bar. I'm Amanda Richards and today we'll be making the scrapbook. Uh, the scrapbook is inspired by the mincemeat pies I love to eat around Christmas time. So let's go ahead and jump right in. To start with, we're gonna have to do a simple syrup, which is half a cup of sugar and half a cup of water and a quarter cup of pre-prepared mincemeat filling for a pie. I was able to get mine in the pie making section at the grocery store. So you will bring all that to a boil in a pot and then just let it cool once it's gotten to a boil. It takes about 20 minutes and once it's cooled then you can start your cocktail. So for the actual cocktail you'll get a shaker with ice which I have here and we are going to start with gin. So we will do one ounce of gin. There we go. Then we will also do one ounce of sweet vermouth. Okay, into the shaker we go. Then from there we will do a half an ounce of golden rum or if you have it, dark rum is even better, but working with what I got on hand. So a half an ounce of that into the shaker. Then a half an ounce of that mincemeat syrup will go in. Simple syrup that we made. 
and then we will do a quarter of a Christmas clementine or an orange. It equates to about an ounce of juice and we'll go ahead and squeeze that in. Put on the shaker top and we will shake pretty aggressively for about 30 seconds. Now, once that is all shaken up, you will want to rim your glass. And how I like to do that is to take the martini glass and then using just the leftover squeezed portion of your orange, you will rub that around the rim and then dip it in a mix of sugar. I used sugar in the raw for mine and mixed that with cinnamon and just a pinch of cinnamon and a pinch of nutmeg, mix it together and then dipped the rim in that. Then we will pour our cocktail through a strainer to get all the bits of the solid mincemeat out. And there we go. That is your Christmas scrapbook cocktail. I hope you guys enjoy it and have the happiest of holidays. And I will see you again, hopefully in the new year. Jane, what's the best way to keep champagne? Signed, Ms. Self-Control. Dear Ms. Self-Control, what a great Christmas question for the C Word podcast. What is the best way to keep champagne? Well, what we as conservation and scientists know is that preservation is all about environmental conditions. So, if you want to preserve your champagne, what you have to do is get the correct environmental conditions. And what are they? Well, we know that temperature is a major factor in the dissolution of carbon dioxide in liquids. And what we know is that the lower the temperature, the better you are able to dissolve the carbon dioxide. So, if you want to preserve your champagne or Prosecco or Cava or Cremant or any other fizzy drink, then the best way to do it is to keep it cold. Interestingly, very much like the preservation of, say, deteriorated paper, small amounts of time at higher temperatures increase your rates of decay in a, in a way that you might not expect. So, for example, if you have a library collection that you keep in the freezer largely, taking it out of the freezer for, say, three days a year does more than three 365ths worth of accelerated damage. And in much the same way, letting your champagne warm up will decrease the amount of carbon dioxide and therefore decreases fizz. So, we know the temperature is important and also like a good museum collection, so it's packaging. Now, the best way to package your half-drunk champagne is to put a metal collar with a seal on it. So, a specific champagne-designed one. Like everything don't else in conservation, don't go bodging. Don't go using the wrong box or the wrong shape thing. Get a proper metallic um, champagne topper or Prosecco topper that has kind of the wings that can squash down on the outside. And that will help keep it for a few days. Now, if you do that then you are keeping the um, pressure consistent. You can't use one of those um, sort of squeezy toppers that you sometimes use with just ordinary wine because they'll pop out because of the pressure of the champagne. But the correct tool for the job will help you keep your champagne for several days. Some people may have heard of the teaspoon trick and like everything else, old wives' tales often have some basis in fact, but not much. 
The thinking around the science of the champagne and teaspoon trick is that the cold metal of the spoon conducts the heat away, keeping the air in the neck of the bottle slightly cooler. But unfortunately, most of the empirical testing suggests that it doesn't work. But the question was a conservation one, and it's a philosophical one. And some of you may be aware that I've recently been engaging with a discussion about whether or not keeping things for longer is better. My own view is that sometimes the longer we keep something isn't necessarily better than the more experience that we have from it at the time. Certainly, we should be increasing the life experiences from our collections, increasing the amount of activity, experience, joy, engagement that we have. That's got to be part of the role of conservation. So my own personal answer is that the best way to keep champagne is in your tummy. Happy Christmas. Over and out. If you're enjoying The C Word and would like to support our work, then please consider becoming one of our patrons. For as little as $1 per month, you can help us keep our episodes online and more of them coming. Patreon helps us meet our regular costs for the show, and also to plan ahead so we know roughly how much of a monthly budget we've got. That's super helpful when you're trying to do something special like buy a better microphone or save up to go to a special event. Your support also helps keep us free of advertisements. In return, our supporters get access to our archive of extended episodes, which you can only access on our Patreon page. Yeah, for that $1 a month, you get a little extra audio enjoyment. We've crunched the numbers, and it's about 10% extra content on a regular basis. That's not bad for less than a cup of coffee, eh? If supporting us sounds like something you'd like to do, then head over to patreon.com slash the C word and join our bunch of absolute champions. A huge thank you to everyone who supported us this year, whether you have supported us on Patreon, via PayPal, or just by listening to us. Thank you so much, and a very Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening. We're The C Word, and you'll be listening to Emily O'Reilly, Chloe Rumsey, and me, Jenna Mathiasen. Join us next season for loads of other good content. In the meantime, check out our website at theseaword.show, Tweet us at the Seaward Podcast or simply email us on theseawardpodcast at gmail.com. Intro and outro music is Spring by Didi Music, used under a Creative Commons Attribution License. Additional music and sound effects by Callum Robertson and Audio Jungle. A special thank you to our guest performer, Chris from CSP Music. This has been a Wooden Dice production. 